Okay, uh, praise be to the Lord God. Uh, we're gathered again to study His words and commands. We are currently on the first uh, episode about the book of Exodus, and so we are so excited to deliver this to you. But before we begin, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Almighty and merciful Father, we are truly truly thankful to you because you have done so many things for your people in a time when people are going through many difficulties in life you provide not only guidance and care but also hope and strength to carry us through the day and the weeks of our life we praise your highest name we beg you father as we study your holy book we will look for your will Please reveal your will to us. Speak to us on a personal level through the power of your Holy Spirit that, Father, whatever assignment and purpose you have for us individually, we will carry them through. Our Lord Jesus Christ, our Messiah, we belong to you. And so we ask that you please remember us. Pray for us, Lord that we will succeed in this endeavor to know the will of our Father. Oh God, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. We ask all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, so excited to actually and finally begin the book of Exodus after some months. I can't remember when we started. I think it was in the month of March. Was it the month of March? We are in December, and so after several months, we finish the book of Genesis, and we begin today the book of Exodus. And so we are excited to finally transition from one book to the next. However, if you still remember, the book of Exodus belongs to what is called the Torah or the Pentateuch. Do you remember what the Pentateuch was or is? What is the Pentateuch or the Torah? Next slide, please. It's the first five books written by Moses, the first five books of the Holy Bible, consisting of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Genesis concerns the beginning, the beginning of the universe, the beginning of God's plan, the beginning of His people. Exodus is about the birth of a nation. Leviticus, the law of the nation. Numbers, wilderness wanderings. And Deuteronomy, laws Review. So today we're going to begin the book of Exodus, the birth of a nation. If you still remember, we left off in the book of Genesis with Jacob and his sons residing there in Egypt. So what happens to them there? How did they begin their journey or how did they start the birth of a nation? Let's begin our studies in the book of Exodus, chapter 1, 1 down to 5. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, 
including Joseph, who was already there. And so when Joseph, Jacob, and his other sons were in Egypt, during the time, they had 70 descendants in Egypt. However, eventually, Joseph and the others would die. And so the generation would pass. However, because of God's promise, what happened to the descendants of Israel? Let's read Exodus 1, 6 down to 7. In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that gener entire generation but their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. So what would happen to the people of Israel even after the death of Joseph and his entire generation? Bible says they had descendants, children, grandchildren. They multiplied greatly. Can you imagine? They became a mighty nation there in Egypt, beginning with only a clan. And that clan started out from just five people. Who were they? Let's go to the next slide. If you remember the five that became the father of Israel, the clan started out with just five people back in Haran, back in Canaan. Who were they? Jacob, Rachel, Leah, Zilpha, and Bilhah. Who were Rachel and Leah? The wives, Zilpha and Bilha, the maidservants, they were used so that uh, by God and by uh, Jacob to be able to propagate as well. And so they had many sons through the four of them. So five people back in Haran, 50 years later, what would happen? Next slide. Jacob's family became a clan of about 100 people. So you begin with five. You become a clan, they're in Egypt, but they're in Egypt, they grew. How fast did they grow? Well, if we take a look at the five years, or 50 years, starting from five, generating 100 people, next slide, we calculate the growth rate to be just above 6%. With that growth rate, what can we expect the population of Israel to be in Egypt? Next slide, that rate, there should be about several million descendants by the time of Exodus, 430 years later. If we check the rest of the Holy Scriptures, we discover that when they left Egypt, there were 600,000 men above the age of 21. You account also for the children and also the wives, and you have probably two or two million or so in population. And so God fulfilled his promise. From one man, God created and raised up a nation. Next slide, please. The clan has become a mighty nation. Not a might nation. Somebody forgot the why there. It became a mighty nation to fulfill the promise of our almighty God. However, I don't know if you noticed this. There's a slight problem with that. It's a mighty nation within another mighty nation. And when you have that, there's bound to be what? Conflict. Sure enough, who eventually went to power there in Egypt? Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt. Who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done? So eventually, someone comes into power, a new pharaoh, who knows nothing about Joseph, knows nothing about the people of Israel. So he's looking around, and he notices this peculiar group of people. They're very different from the Egyptians. They were the Hebrew people, the Israelites. And so what did he notice? And what became of his thinking? Let's read the book of Exodus 1, 9 down to 10. He said to his people, Egypt, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. That's probably an exaggeration. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from a country. So this Pharaoh, this new king, he, had, he was uh, concerned, right? What was his concern? The people of Israel, they were growing so fast, he believes that they outnumber the people of Egypt. They were strong 
they were powerful, and they were also afraid that maybe they will side with the enemies, because after all, they were not really Egyptians. They were Hebrew. They were people of Israel. And so what does he decide to do? He creates a plan, right, to keep them from growing even more. In other words, next slide, conceive of, he conceived of a plan to persecute and oppress the people of Israel. Which brings us to this question. I don't know if you thought of this question before. What is that question? Next slide. Why did God raise up an, a mighty nation? There's a might again. Somebody keeps, something's wrong with this keyboard. It's missing a Y. Why did God raise up a mighty nation in Egypt rather than in Canaan? Because the promised land is where? Not Egypt, but where? Canaan. Canaan. Have you thought about that? Have you asked yourself that question? Why would God take his people to Egypt raise a nation in Egypt instead of there in Canaan, because that's the promised land. That's where God said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is where I'm going to give you this land as for, for the time to come. This is the promised land. And so you come to think of that. And the reason I believe is because of God's plan that he announced back in the garden of Eden. Do you remember the plan of God that he announced in the Garden of Eden back in Genesis chapter 3 after the fall of mankind. Let's go back to Genesis 3 verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What was the plan of salvation, the plan of God that he announced back then and back there in the Garden of Eden? God said that he will have a seed from the woman, Eve, and he will crush the head of your seed and you yourself. And so this seed we know is going to be fulfilled in who? Who is the seed announced by the Lord God back in Genesis? Who is the seed? Our Lord, Jesus Christ. So way back in the Garden of Eden, after the fall of mankind, God said, I have a plan. And this plan will be fulfilled in the seed who's going to crush the serpent with a fatal blow. This seed is our Lord Jesus Christ. To whom did God confirm this plan of having a seed? Galatians 3 verse 16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. And so this promise that God had made back in the Garden of Eden, he gave that promise to Abraham. It is from his descendants that this seed is going to come from. Remember, God chose a race, right? What race did he choose for himself based upon his election? It is the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. So what was God's will for Abraham? He has, he has to protect his descendants. He has to protect his bloodline because that's where the seed, the promised seed, our Lord Jesus Christ would come from. This is why when Abraham was still alive to protect his descendants and the bloodline from which the Lord Jesus Christ will come from, what did he say? Or Romans, let's go to Romans first, chapter 9, verses 4 down to 5. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors. And Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. So God chose Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, from among their descendants will come forth the seed announced back in Genesis. That seed was fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. So that descendant, that line of uh, ascent, descension, that line that which represents the descendants of Abraham, the people of Israel, it had to be protected. This is why when Abraham was still alive, what did he say? In Genesis 24, 1 to 4, Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in everything he did. 
he said to his oldest servant who was in charge of all that he had, place your hand between my thighs and make a vow. I want you to make a vow in the name of the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not choose a wife for my son from the people herein. Canaan, you must go back to the country where I was born and get a wife for my son Isaac from among my relatives. Why did Abraham make sure this is going to happen? Because he had to protect what? The bloodline. He had to protect Israel. He had to keep the race pure. Why? It's God's will based upon his election. And so when Isaac had a son, and it's his turn to choose for a wife for his son, what did he also say to Jacob? Genesis 28 verse 1, so Isaac called for Jacob, blessed him and said, you must not marry any of these Canaanite women. Same thing. Well, how about Jacob? Well, let's go to Genesis 28, 6 to 8. Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent, and had sent him away to Padan Aram to get a wife from there. He learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had commanded him not to marry any of the Canaanite women. He also learned that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had left for Padan Aram. Esau realized that his father, Isaac, disapproved of Canaanite women. And so Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, what did they all have in common? They enforced this rule that they are not to marry with Canaanites. Why? To preserve the bloodline of the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. However, despite this decree from the fathers, what happened? Genesis 36, 1 to 3 and 9. These are the descendants of Esau, also called Edom. Esau married Canaanite women. Ada, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Oholibama, the daughter of Anna, son of Zibion, the Hevite. And Basemath, the daughter of Ishmael and sister of Nebaioth. These are the descendants of Esau, the ancestor of the Edomites. And so despite what was decreed by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, well, Esau ended up marrying Canaanite women. And their descendants became not Israelites, but what? Edomites. And so the bloodline was not kept pure. It was difficult to keep the bloodline pure. Where? In Canaan. Why? It would be impossible for Israel to grow as a pure nation in Canaan because of intermarriage with its pagan and wicked inhabitants. But God found a place where that would not be an issue. Where is that place? Huh? <laughs> Egypt. Do you know why there would not be a problem of intermarriage there in Egypt? <laughs> if you still remember when Joseph had that dinner with his brothers, Remember, let's go back to that night, Genesis 43, verse 32. Joseph was served at one table and his brothers at another. The Egyptians who were eating there were served separately because they considered it beneath their dignity to eat with Hebrews. If they're not willing to eat with Hebrews, do you think they will marry Hebrews? Of course not. Problem solved, right? We now have a place where God can raise Israel as a nation. Where? Not in Canaan, because they will probably intermarry, but in Egypt, because the Egyptians looked down on the Hebrew people. This is why in Exodus 1, 6 down to 7, they multiplied greatly there in Egypt. And so Egypt served, next slide, as a womb for a growing nation. It started out as a zygote, right? A clan. But it grew there in Egypt. And eventually, it's being prepared to be born. So Egypt served as a womb to grow the people of Israel. And so when they were growing, and the new king sees them, and they want, he wants to oppress them, what did they decide to do? Exodus chapter 1 
verse 11, so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. And so what was in the plan conceived by the Pharaoh, who did not like the Israelites, well, they came up with a way to enslave them and to use labor to crush them. However, the more they were oppressed, what happened to them? Exodus chapter 1 verse 12, but the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. Isn't this like a common pattern among the people of God? I mean, during the Christian era, when the apostles began to preach the word of God after Jesus went up to heaven, they were persecuted. They were scattered. Well, what happened is they were scattered and persecuted. They grew all the more. The same thing happened with the people of Israel. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread. And so, of course, the king was alarmed. And so what did he do? Exodus 1, 13 and 14. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. And so the king, he was ruthless. He made lives bitter for the Egyptians. And I believe this was by design. Why? Because if we look at the book of Deuteronomy, God planned this all along. Why? The book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verse 20. But you are the people, referring to the people of Israel, he rescued from Egypt. What did he call Egypt? That blazing furnace. He brought you out to make you his own people as you are today. So what was the purpose of the suffering and the hardship and the oppression and the persecution that his people suffered there in Egypt? Bible says it was meant to be a blazing furnace. What's the purpose of a blazing furnace? It is to refine you, to prepare your character, that you will grow in strength and faith. Because you see, God was not just growing his nation. What was he also doing? Next slide. He was preparing his nation. He was preparing for the birth of Israel, coming from the womb of Egypt. He was growing his nation, preparing his nation through the blazing furnace so that they can be the people belonging to God. And so the Pharaoh, what did he do to further inflict punishment against the people of Israel? To make sure that they will not grow. Because no matter what he tried, they just kept growing and spreading in number. Let's read Exodus 1, 15 down to 16. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Pua. Let's pause there for a while. What is a midwife? What is, do you know what a midwife is? No? Someone who helps or assists you give birth. Someone who catches the baby, right? When it's born, cuts the umbilical cord. So it's like a nurse, I guess, right? to take care of, specifically assigned to take care of someone giving birth. And so what was the instruction of Pharaoh to Shepra and Pua? She, the, the two were probably the main uh, midwives. They were the leaders of the midwives. Shepra and Pua. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, what are you supposed to do? Kill him. If it's a girl, well, let her live. He was concerned. <laughs> and I want you to think about this. If it's a boy, kill it. That's kind of over the top, right? Even for a pharaoh, that's a bit over the top. But who do you think is behind it? Yeah. What does he, wa what does he not want? He does not want the seed to be born. And so what does he want to do? He wants to kill all the baby boys. When they come out of the womb, they are to be killed. Shipra and Pua was given the instruction. 
Now, I want you to put yourself in the position of Shipra and Pua. Pretend that was you. You were there, okay? Can you, can you do that? Can you imagine? Okay, you're there. You're Shipra and Pua. Here's the king, the pharaoh. Of course, when he enters the room, you're kind of afraid. And he tells you, when the, uh, the, the women give birth to a boy, kill it. Okay, if you're Shipra and Pua, what would you do? <laughs> what would you do? Would you kill it? No. I mean, if you're going to defy the instructions of the king, you might get expelled. You might get expelled. You might even get killed. Are you willing to accept that fate? Yeah? But Ivan, what would you have done? If you were Shipra, Pua. But before you make that decision, what if you knew this law of God? That's where the book of Romans 13, 1 down to 2. Before we make a decision, we have this in the back of our minds. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. The Pharaoh, is he a governing authority? Yes. Yeah, he's a king. For all, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. So you have this law of God. It says you have to submit to all governing authorities. Why? Because who placed them? God. If you were probably one of the midwives there which, with uh, Shipra and Pua, they're probably telling you, hey, it's, uh, isn't it the will of God that we obey the king? God placed them there, right? We should submit to them. What else? The Bible also says those who rebel against the authority of the governing power is rebelling against who? Our Almighty God. Have you heard that before? If you rebel against what God has placed to lead, you are rebelling against who? God. Okay, so now you know these, this law of God. Okay, but Ivan, go back to you. <laughs> so what would you do now? Are you going to kill the baby boys and obey your king? Because after all, God placed them. Or would you defy the wishes of your king and save the baby boys? What would you do? But Ivan's on the spot. He's looking around. Help me out, guys. <laughs> Save them? Yeah. Good answer. Is that your final answer, brother? Your final answer? Yeah. yeah? Let's find out what uh, the two midwives actually did. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 17, but because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the two midwives chose... To disobey the king's orders. Why? One reason. Because they feared who? Yeah. You know, brothers and sisters, this is something we must never forget. Sometimes we are so afraid of people, we forget who? God. But the Bible says we should fear who? God. You know, when we have fear of God, when we have reverence for God, you know what we will begin to develop? Let's read the book of Psalms, 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever, according to the Scriptures. When we fear God above all, what is that the beginning of? It's the beginning of wisdom. Do you know what wisdom is? Wisdom is understanding, discernment. The ability to know the difference between what is right and what is almost right. What is almost right? Submit to the authorities, right? It's almost right. But if the authorities make you do something against the will of God, are you still going to submit? No more. You see, we have to discern the difference between absolute submission and conditional submission. You know, when the Bible says, obey authorities, obey government leaders, it's a conditional submission. 
it depends on whether or not it goes against the will of God. When it comes to God's authority, it is absolute submission because God answers to no higher authority. We need to remember that, especially today. Why? Because nowadays there are religious leaders who abuse their authority. Do you believe that? Yeah, that's true. What do they usually cite in the passage of Scripture? The book of Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that, they, so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Do we believe this passage? Yeah. But what kind of submission, what kind of obedience is mentioned here? Not absolute, but conditional. We will only obey if it does not conflict with the will of our almighty God. And so, brethren, we need to have reverence for who? For God, the one that we cannot see, rather than having fear for people that we see. Sometimes we're more afraid of people that we see rather than God whom we cannot see. Always keep that in mind. This is why the two midwives, they made the choice to fear the Lord God. And because they made that choice, they had to face the consequence. What is the consequence? Exodus 1, 18 to 19. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. They got called into the principal's office. What do we call that? Interrogation. <laughs> they got interrogated. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly <laughs> that we cannot get there in time. <laughs> and so when they were interrogated, I tell you, these midwives are pretty smart, pretty wise. Did they lie to Pharaoh? I don't think they lied. You know what they did? They purposely showed up late. They told the other midwives, hey, be slow, <laughs> right? So that when they said this is actually true, <laughs> they're more vigorous and have their baby so quickly that we cannot get there in time. Why were they able to do this? Because they had fear of God. And what did God say concerning them? Exodus 1, 20 to 21. So God was good to the midwives. And the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Brothers and sisters, we live in a time when we need to develop reverence for God. Have a fear of God. Just because we cannot see him doesn't mean he cannot see us. He knows what we're doing. And every choice, every decision we make should reflect our reverence for our almighty God. You know what the promise of God is? If we will have fear of him, Psalms 25 verse 14, the Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. And so if we have fear of God, we're not afraid of any religious or political leader because our loyalty is to who? Our Almighty God. Don't forget that. Because brethren, your faith is going to be tested. Just like the two, mid, the two midwives, they were tested. We too will be tested. And it will be revealed. Who we fear more. Is it God or is it man? Brethren, do not be afraid of men. Fear and have reverence for who? Our almighty God. And so the midwives got away with it, right? Pretty slick, right? Pretty smooth. And they got the blessing of our almighty God. However, that king, he doesn't give up, right? So what did he do? Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy, those who were already born, into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. And so this time, they don't have to instruct the midwives. Now, the existing children who were boys 
you were going to be cast into the Nile River. You know, brothers and sisters, like what we mentioned to you, this is, by the way, the last um, verse in Exodus chapter 1. And we'll discuss what happens next, next week. But before we conclude, there's something I want you to understand about this passage. Who do you think is behind that? Who's behind that? The devil. Who does he not want to be born? The seed, right? Do you remember what happened in Bethlehem? What was the decree? To kill all? Yeah, the baby boys too. Wasn't that a decree also? Why? Who's behind it? The devil. He doesn't want the promised seed to be born. Because he doesn't want mankind to be saved. So he's working hard. This, is, this explains why a pharaoh or a political leader can do something like this. You know, when you think about the actions of the devil, if you study the Holy Bible, and we'll get a glimpse of this in our studies, the instruments that the devil uses are political leaders and religious leaders. Someone with authority. You know why? Because he wants to have more influence. Okay? This is why if you are in a position of authority, position of power, watch out. <laughs> because the devil's going to do something to use you. Just like he used the Pharaoh and other uh, leaders to try and put a stop to the seed. But eventually, the seed was fulfilled. Lord Jesus Christ came. He died on the cross. He was resurrected. He went to heaven. Now who is the new target? Let's read the book of Galatians 3, 26, 29. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, what does it say? Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The devil tried his best to make sure the seed would not come true. But he failed. The seed was fulfilled. Christ has come. Now, who is his target? Bible says those who belong to who? Christ. Why? Because we who belong to Christ, because we were baptized into Christ, we are Abraham's seed. And so after Christ came, the chosen race is who? It's those who belong to who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. And because we belong to Christ and are counted as Abraham's seed, guess what? We are heirs according to the promise. That's the good news. What's the bad news? Because we're Abraham's seed, we are the number one target. Of who? The devil. You know how active he is today? Revelation 12, 12, and so be glad, you heavens and all that live there. But how terrible for the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, and he is filled with rage because he knows that he has only a little time left. He is going to be very aggressive. He is going to pounce like a roaring lion. Why? Because he knows he only has a little time left. Do you know who? is going to wage war against we read revelation 12 12 those who need to be very careful are the following let's read 12 17 and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with who the remnant of her seed who are they which keep the commandments of god and have the testimony of jesus christ if you are the remnant of her seed those who obey the commands of God, those who have the testimony of Jesus. What's the testimony of Jesus? The spirit of prophecy. Brethren, the devil specifically is waging war against the remnant. This is why we have to be extra vigilant. We have to be watchful. You know why? He's going to attack us. And how does he attack? He will use what? Powerful 
people. If not political leaders, what will he use? Religious leaders. How has this happened before? John 16, 1 to 2, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. Let's pause for a while. Who's the one speaking here? Who's speaking? Jesus. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he's telling us a warning. He's telling us about future things to come. He said, I've told you these things now so that you won't abandon your faith in the future. Why? What will happen in the future? You'll be expelled from where? The synagogues. And the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. Lord Jesus Christ, in advance, he told us the devil is going to use religious leaders. Why do we believe they are religious leaders and they have authority? Because they can expel from the synagogues. They must have authority in their religion. They're powerful people. And they lead many the Bible says, Lord Jesus Christ says, they will expel you from the synagogues. Not only that, time is also coming when they will threaten and kill you and make it appear as though they were doing her holy service to God. Do you think this is possible? Yeah. It happened in the first century. It's also happening today. Do you know what the Lord Jesus Christ calls religious leaders who are oppressive? You know what Christ calls them? Religious leaders and powerful religious people who are oppressive. You know what Christ calls them? Let's read the book of Matthew 10 verse 16. Listen, I am sending you out, sending you out like sheep to a pack of wolves. You must be as cautious as snakes and gentle as doves. Lord Jesus Christ likened them to wolves. These religious leaders. Why? What will they do? Matthew 10, verse 17, watch out, for there will be those who will arrest you and take you to court, and they will whip you in the synagogues. They will arrest you and take you to court. What else will they do? 10, 22, 23, everyone will hate you because of me, but whoever holds out to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, run away to another one. I assure you that you will not finish your work in all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Not only will they arrest you and take you to court, they will hate you. They will persecute you. What else will they do? Matthew 10, 24, 25, no pupil is greater than his teacher. No slave is greater than his master. So a pupil should be satisfied to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If the head of the family is called Bilzebul, the members of the family will be called even worse names. Not only will they persecute and, and hate you, not only will they arrest you and take you to court, what also will they do to you? They will call you names. Can you imagine that? How childish. Very childish. You know, these people have connections. When this was first fulfilled, it was the Jewish uh, leaders, the Pharisees, right? They had connections with Rome. Although they did not like each other, they were working together. And so they used Rome as a, as a way to persecute the Christians. After the apostasy, the Catholic Church also connived with the state authorities, right? This is why they were able to use political power to inflict pain and torture and oppression against those who resisted them. Even during our time, there are religious leaders who have influence over the government. Do you believe that? Yes. Yeah. And so it's happening again. And the Lord Jesus Christ even said, they're going to call you names too. <laughs> Bilzebul. Do you know what Bilzebul is? Fallen angel. Has that been fulfilled today? Yeah. <laughs> Fallen angels. What else? And this is the, the hard part. This is the test of our faith. Matthew 10, 21, people will hand over their own brothers to be put to death, and fathers will do the same to their children. Children will turn against their parents and have them put to death. To these religious leaders, because they can make the people who follow them do whatever they want to do, what will they make them do? They will make the children turn against their own parents. That will also happen today, and that's happening now. And so when this begins to happen to us, what does the Lord Jesus Christ want us to do? 
Matthew 10, 26, 28, 28, but don't be afraid of those who threaten you. This is why we mentioned to you, brothers and sisters, before the end comes, we're going to be tested in the test to see whether or not we pass or fail. We need to know who do we really have reverence for? Christ says, don't be afraid of those who threaten you for the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Brethren, if there's one message that we need to get from Exodus chapter 1, fear God. Do not fear those who have authority here on earth. Did you get that? Because the devil will use people who have authority and power here on earth to threaten us. Christ says, don't be afraid of them. Rather, be afraid of who? Yeah, have fear, have reverence only for our all. Mighty God, this is why if they're making you do something against the will of God, say no. If you're observing doing something against the will of God, say no to that. Don't be afraid of men. Have reverence for our almighty God. What else does Christ want us to do? We're almost done. Matthew 10, 32, 33, those who declare publicly that they belong to me. I will do the same for them before my Father in heaven. But those who reject me publicly, I will reject before my Father in heaven. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is telling us, these religious leaders, they want to take ownership of you. <laughs> they want to be Lord over you. They want to tell you what to do and say to you, you have to obey me because God placed me here. The Lord Jesus Christ says, no. Declare publicly, you don't belong to them. You belong to who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when we did that, what happened to us? We got expelled. <laughs> and so some of us are, oh no, I'm expelled. You're trembling, I'm expelled. My name is no longer in the book of life. I'm expelled from this institution. The Lord Jesus Christ says, if you publicly declare that you belong to me, I will do the same for my Father in heaven. What does that mean? Revelation, final passage of our studies today, Revelation 3 verse 5. All who are victorious, who are those who are victorious? Those who have reverence for God. Those who will not let men who have power and authority influence them to do something against the will of God. Those who are victorious are the ones who live by faith. Those who have reverence for God. The Bible says all who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life. I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. How sweet to hear those words. When Christ himself will say to the father, these people here are mine. Brethren, declare publicly we belong to Christ. This is why we have announced Jesus is our chief shepherd. We don't belong to any executive minister here on earth. We belong to the one and true leader of our Christian faith, our Lord Jesus Christ. We've made that bold statement. Now there's no need to be afraid. They will tell you you were not listed in the book of life. Don't believe that. That's not true. Christ says, I'm the one who holds the book of life. And he says, I will never erase their names. From the book of life. Don't believe men here on earth. Believe Jesus who is in heaven. Who has the book of life in his hands. He is the one. In charge of it. As appointed by God. And so brethren. Have reverence for God. Have reverence for our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid of religious men. Who threaten you. Don't believe in what they say. You have to be listed. It is Christ who lists. And keeps it listed there in heaven. So brothers and sisters. Let us show our reverence for God. And his beloved son. 
and let us complete our journey together. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting and most holy Father, thank you so much, O oh God, because you have provided for your people in their times of need. Ever since the very beginning, it has always been the case. Whenever our backs are on the wall, and seemingly there's no hope in sight. Father, you provide a way, you provide a means. And during our time, as we are being tested in fire, as the devil prowls seeking to devour us, Lord, you have given us a Savior. Thank you, O Father, for giving us a good heart that turns to you, not any human here on earth. Father, help us to complete our race. Yes. We need you, Father, every day, yes. especially when we are being threatened, ridiculed, and persecuted. Yes. We will look up to you, Father, yes. and not be afraid anymore. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we cry unto you. Yes. You are our chief shepherd. Yes. It is our pleasure and joy to announce to the world yes. we belong to you. Yes. That is a privilege, Lord, Please accept us. We want to be with you now and forever. And on the day of your return, please announce to the Father as well that we belong to you. So long as you are our chief shepherd, our loving Messiah, there is no reason for us to be afraid. No matter what happens here on earth, we know you will deliver us, Lord Jesus Christ. Be with each one here and strengthen our faith once again. Father, remember your people who are being oppressed. We are not surprised this is happening. We know its purpose, O Father. We know why there's so much hatred and persecution. The devil wants to devour us, that we might lose our hope. But Father, we have you to protect and deliver us. Protect your people those who are being oppressed all over the world and continue to watch over us. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed each and every one of us tonight. We ask and beg everything, O God, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay, brothers and sisters, so next week we'll do Exodus chapter 2, God willing, and then Exodus chapter 3, and then after that we'll go on a little history project of how we got the Bible, if that's okay with you. Just a little segue, Uh, but before we go ahead and do all that, um, we have to prepare for next week's Exodus chapter 2, which will be very exciting as well, okay? That is all. May God bless all of us.